Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. I have never heard before from a major media figure what we're about to hear, such an uncompromising statement upholding the truth, refusing to tell the lie, refusing to be nice and tell the lie. I don't know if you are familiar with Megyn Kelly, but if not, I do recommend her, her, her show, her podcast. I, I don't like calling She doesn't have a podcast. She has a talk show. It's just that everything is called podcasts these days. This is a real show that she has. Um, Megyn Kelly used to work for Fox, as you know. Then she went to, <clears throat> excuse me, Duck Voice. Uh, she went to MS, uh, not MS. She went to NBC for a time. That didn't work out, and it didn't work out for very long. And now she's landed with her own show. And she has been talking recently about her the shift in her thinking from the days when she unquestioningly supported whatever the trans narrative was because she believed things that she doesn't believe now. She wanted to do the right thing. She wanted to be helpful to other people, especially to family members that she had who were trans. But as time has gone on, the veil has lifted for her. And I am um, I'm really surprised, but very, very pleased to hear what we're about to hear. Let's listen to clip one, please, Kevin. I, for one, will not be celebrating this dishonesty. In fact, I'm in a very different place when it comes to this entire issue. And that is the subject of today's opening. Why I'm done with preferred pronouns. I was an early proponent of using preferred pronouns as far back as the early 2000s, of saying she when I knew the truth was he. It seemed harmless and I had no wish to cause offense. Trans people were tortured enough, it seemed to me, by nature of their dysphoria and society's disdain for them in general. So I complied. I went along with it. I didn't see the harm. This is where most people start. They don't see the harm. They don't really see the lie. Or if they see the lie, they don't think of it as a lie because it seems like a white lie. It seems like a harmless lie. Why not say she if this man says it makes me feel more comfortable? It's just little, right? It's just courtesy. It's just helping a person who's hurt to feel less hurt. That's where most people of goodwill start. That's where I start. I, that's where I started. I didn't see the harm either. Um, but when we begin with a lie, there is always harm. Beginning with a lie will never result in anything but woe. There are no exceptions to this. Now, what we're going to play for you here is another unusual kind of statement from anyone, actually, these days, but certainly unusual for major media figures. It talks about taking responsibility. Let's roll that, please. In 2018, while at NBC, I hosted shows on trans people, one of which had a segment on trans kids. I led the audience in cheering for them, encouraging them to own who they are. I used approved terms like gender affirming care for medicinal gender manipulations, cis to refer to natural born women and men, assigned male at birth instead of born male. I smiled and listened politely as a guest told me, gender is just a social construct. I wanted to be supportive of those who were suffering. I would use this more evolved language. I didn't see the harm. By the time we began the Megyn Kelly Show podcast in September 2020, the warning signs were everywhere. Abigail Schreier had written her beautiful and immensely important book, Irreversible Damage, documenting the social contagion sweeping teenage and adolescent girls a group that traditionally had very few members claiming gender dysphoria, but was quickly on its way to having more than any other. Teenage girls in Connecticut were losing on the track to males. Runners who had raced as boys the year before then simply declared themselves female and dominated their new competitors. I wanted to be supportive of those who were suffering, she said. 
and many, many people feel this way, particularly women. This is a particularly, not exclusively, but particularly female attitude to the world. Women tend to be more demonstrably empathetic. They tend to be more concerned with preserving the feelings of people in the group within certain structures, as we know, because women can certainly, and do, dismiss the feelings of people that they don't see as the chicks in their flock. But many of these people that we have been told, that Megan was told, that I've been told, that you've been told, everybody has been told, were suffering, were not, and are not suffering in any way that deserves something called support. They claim that they are suffering. They do make the assertion. Claims and assertions are different from demonstrable reality. They claim to suffer, but what they are suffering, these loud ones, and again, supply your own not alls. Remember that I know there are exceptions to everything and I don't caveat and I don't give footnotes for everything I say, so you must supply them for yourself. They claim to suffer, but what many of them are suffering is simply a lack of adulation and narcissistic supply. That's not real suffering that deserves anything but being ignored with prejudice. Being supportive has come to mean cooperate with a lie, appease, say yes to anything another person wants, even if it's making them physically and mentally sick, even if it's making you sick because you don't count. It has never been actually our responsibility to be supportive this way. This, this societal value that we think we have, that's not normal, it's new normal. It's not, it has no long storied history in American society or any society that I know of. Could be wrong, of course. This is new normal. And any of you who are older than your 20s know that I'm right. You know you didn't feel this way six or seven years ago. You certainly didn't feel this way 10 years ago. You don't have to do it now either. She said, I would use this evolved language. You can hear the sarcasm and the scare quotes in what she's saying, I, and, I, and I like it. I agree with her. This is part of our cultural idolization of anything new that is progressive, right? New and progress. These words are taken to be ipso facto goods. Recognize this. We have mistaken narcissism for a disability. Mm -hmm. We've mistaken what is drug-seeking behavior, and I, I, I'm meaning this not, not, not just drugs, not actual just substances, I do mean those, but narcissism is just addiction. It's just drug-seeking behavior. It's an addiction that lies and that clouds any mirror that a person finds himself in front of. That's not a disability. That's a personal problem. We roll the next one, please, Kevin. American schools, including our own in New York City, again, pushing the idea on children that gender is as malleable as a dinner menu order. Our son and his third grade classmates were regularly asked if they were sure they were still boys. Later, this and other schools moved away from the terms boys and girls altogether. Now parents pick up their students at day's end, not their sons or daughters. Kids telling teachers they were uncomfortable in their bodies were immediately affirmed as trans, despite the fact that upwards of 90% of kids will grow out of these feelings if only they are allowed to do so. As Megan says, puberty is the cure, but we prevent the cure from happening. This is a narcissistic reversal, calling the normal perverse, calling the healthy diseased. In Christian terms, it's a satanic lie. It's Isaiah 520, woe to those who substitute light for dark, bitter for sweet. Let's go to the next one, please, Kevin. We moved to Connecticut in 2021, and that was the year the floodgates really opened. Hardly a day went by over the next two years without another story in the news of the trans madness sweeping the nation. Female inmates being raped 
by male sex offenders who had conveniently declared themselves trans right before heading to prison. Female cyclists losing titles to grown men who declared themselves trans and absconded with the prize money. Professional psychiatric associations adopting gender-confirming care as the only acceptable option for children suffering any hint of gender confusion. A boy in a dress sexually assaulting a girl in a Virginia school bathroom while administrators covered it up. A teenage volleyball player severely injured by a trans player who spiked the ball so hard the girl suffered permanent damage. Hospitals bragging about how much cash they were making on cross-gender procedures, including on teenagers. Pictures online of young women's gutted forearms where flesh was harvested to build a grotesque, phony phallus that no one would ever mistake for an actual male sex organ. High schoolers celebrating top surgery in which their breasts were amputated before their 16th birthday, forever eliminating their ability to breastfeed. Kids pumped full of puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones rendered sterile and incapable of ever reaching sexual climax, all while their parents and doctors maintained this was all by informed consent. Yeah, young women's gutted forearms, grotesque phony phallus that no one would ever mistake for a male sexual organ breasts amputated. Notice the lack of euphemism. This is the fire I've been hoping to see in people. This is what we should be talking like. Megyn Kelly is doing it. Are you doing it yet? I'm simultaneously frustrated and pleased. I'll have to just swallow my frustration. It's part of life. But this is what some of us have been saying for fucking years, years while we have been called crazy and bigoted and delusional and paranoid. Yes, yes, I am angry about that. I know that my anger is not the most important thing. What's the most important thing is that it's happening now, but I will not forget. And a lot of us will not forget what people did to try to shut us up while they sliced kids open and called us crazy. Next one, please, Kevin. There is the harm. There's the harm. There is the harm. It is beyond time to stand up to the trans lobby that means to deprive women of their spaces and rights. To the men who pose as trans women to gain access to places like sorority houses, only to exploit the women who'd been strong-armed into welcoming them. To the men who grow their hair long, throw on a dress, pop on their TikTok filter, and then threaten to kill us if we object to them coming into our private spaces. To the mutilation of our children by money-driven doctors and the rape of our imprisoned sisters and the theft of our medals and opportunities to win. How can we stand up to any of this if we are complicit? How can we fight for facts if we participate in this fiction? that a man can become a woman, that transitioning is possible. And then we try to say, no, she cannot come into our locker rooms or bathrooms or swimming lanes or sororities. We try to say, no, Target, she can buy her bathing suit with the extra fabric to hide her penis in some other store. It doesn't make sense because it isn't true. And we know it's not true. And to pretend that it is true is to foster a lie that is hurting too many people, almost all of them girls, women and girls. They say pronouns are a gateway drug. They open the door to these lies that lead to real harm to real females. They are a clever rhetorical trick that forces you to see the argument about women's spaces before you've ever even spoken one word of substance. People with genuine gender dysphoria can lobby to create their own spaces. I will support them. To create open categories in sport, I will support them. The answer in the interim is not women lose. Girls get hurt. Females learn to turn off their innate sense of danger, of fairness, of the joy of spending time with only women. 
Kids too can grow to adulthood and do what they want with their bodies. I will have empathy for them. I would never bully them. But children should not be subjected to these dangerous interventions in school or at the hands of so-called medical professionals. The facilities that allow it must be stopped or shut down. For these reasons, I have resolved to base my conversations around gender on the same tenets that already govern my life, truth and reality. I will not use preferred pronouns, a decision motivated by a growing alarm over women's rights and the safety of children. I will speak to a trans person kindly and with empathy. In their presence, I will likely try to avoid pronouns altogether as I have no wish to intentionally provoke or upset anyone. But I will not take this gateway drug anymore because I have a daughter, because I am a woman, an adult human female. If you haven't subscribed to Megyn Kelly, I suggest you run out and subscribe to her show right now because this is the most candid, truthful, and honorable statement I have ever heard from someone in the media on a topic that none of us until now have been allowed to tell the truth about. Please put your support where it counts. People like Megyn need the support. And I want to add something before we go to the break. This is not a criticism of Megyn Kelly. Um, this is an addition. I worry. No, no. Let me correct myself. I don't worry. I am correct about this. I, I'm not worried that this might happen. It is already happening. While it is true that today the number of girls who show up at gender clinics and the number of girls who are being diagnosed with what used to be called gender identity disorder has far outstripped boys. It's reversed the proportions over the years. This is happening to boys too. And I worry when I hear women and girls, women and girls, women and girls, we already know that feminism, soft feminism, liberal feminism, radical feminism, third wave feminism, I will not parse it. You um, And um, all of the comments, all of the comments that you want to leave, you are welcome to leave them. I will not be parsing them or responding to them. I'm not going to list out which feminism you're in that doesn't believe this. I don't care, so don't dun me with it. Um, boys are getting lost here in this conversation because it suddenly became acceptable for mothers who have what is clearly and obviously Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is part of a cluster B personality disorder, to maim their boy children, to create an illness, to slice their penises off, to sterilize them, and be applauded for it. On what? On what? Women's talk shows, women's spaces, mommy playgroups. I'm not going to be shutting up about that, and I'm not going to allow women and girls, women and girls, women and girls, to turn this into another excuse to ignore and denigrate boys. Again, this is not directed at Megyn Kelly at all. And I'm not just saying that so that Megan will be nice if she hears what I say. I mean it. I'm directing it at the entire conversation. This is not another problem hurting women and hurting the feminist cause. This is hurting all of us. And men, this is what I ask of you. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're straight. I'm talking to you man to man. We are men together. Men, I need your help. You and I, all of us, need to stand up for boys. I'll see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more, and all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com 
or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. We have some good news. I'm not going to say, I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, getting this script ready, I thought to myself, do I talk about how the tide is turning or not? Is the tide turning or isn't it turning? I don't think I have a good grasp on it. I, maybe it's emotional. But some days it really seems like it is, and other days it seems like it isn't. Let's take a win where we can get it. Here in Vermont. Oh, I'm glad this is in Vermont. This is from the Daily Signal. Headline. Vermont settles with family over biological male trans student in resounding victory for free speech. I'm going to read this to you. It's not going to be on your screen. Uh, but I'm going to read to you from the story. Um, here's the background. The story I'm going to read to you from is from mid-2022, so it's about a year old. A Vermont school district under fire for allowing a biological male student to use the girls' locker room has suspended a father from his position as soccer coach for using male pronouns to refer to the trans-identifying student. Travis Allen has been suspended without pay from his job at the Randolph Union Middle School girls, girls soccer coach, Orange Southwest School District Superintendent Lane Millington said in a Tuesday letter. Uh, Travis Allen's suspension follows a Daily Signal report highlighting his daughter's discomfort at a biological male using her locker room while she was changing. The superintendent said that Allen that is, Mr. Allen, was being punished because he, quote, misgendered a transgender student in our district. You fop. Allen's daughter, Blake, is one of several young ladies who said they were in the Randolph Union High School locker room changing when the trans-identifying student, a biological male, there is no such thing as anything but a biological male, entered the locker room. Several girls who spoke with the Daily Signal said they asked the student to leave, but that the student did not immediately do so. The girl said the student stood in the corner and looked at them while they were changing, causing them to feel uncomfortable. That was mid-2022. Here's this week in 2023 with our victory. The Alliance Defending Freedom, the uh, Christian law firm, one of the only ones doing this work, they took the case, and the school district is now settled, and they lost. This settlement is a complete and entire loss for the school district. You get nothing out of this. You've been put in your place. You've been put back down in your station. The school has to pay the Allens $125,000 in, well, taxpayer dollars. So you like your school board, Randolph? Don't get mad at the Allens. Get mad at yourselves for what you voted in there. They have to pay them $125,000 in attorney's fees and damages. They have to reinstate Mr. Allen in his job as the soccer coach. And they have to scrub all disciplinary records against Mr. Allen and his daughter, Blake Allen. And this part coming up is especially delicious. Quote, further... The settlement requires the Orange Southwest District School District Board and school officials named in the Allens lawsuit to remove any content posted online by the school related to the locker room business as well as from bulletin boards or boards at Randolph Union Middle High School displaying, quote, love and support messages to the trans-identifying student. Good. That's more important than it might first appear. This gets right to the heart of the problem. This fake support and fake caring for the student. This isn't supporting a student, even if he deserved it, which he absolutely doesn't, a little pervert. It's using students to specifically and publicly persecute other students, these girls, these girls who had to stand there while this boy 
very likely with an erection, watched them disrobe. The school gives love and support to the trans girl, the boy. And they put it on bulletin boards so the girls would have to see it every day. And they put it online so the girls and all their friends would have to see it everywhere they go. You see, for kids, there's, school doesn't end at 3 o'clock anymore. School never ends for kids. It's all online. Social media bullying, all of it. No break for the children today. They did this specifically to pin a scarlet A on those girls' blouses. That's why they did it. You know, I just wa I just rewatched the original 1976 Carrie last night, and the striking contrast between uh, yes, I understand it's a fictional story, but the striking contrast between a school where the administration and the teachers actually gave a shit about bullied kids and actually took the right side of the moral ledger, and today is astonishing and sick-making to me. You see the cluster B in all this, right? The manipulation, the Machiavellianism of these adults, the sadism of these adults, the narcissistic reversal, it's all cluster B. Well, let's go from Randolph Middle School to the City University of New York. It's part of, it's, I, I was going to say SUNY, that's uh, State University of New York, that's what they uh, call it. But of course, everything in New York City, as we know, is superior and special. So it's City University of New York, CUNY. It's not that stupid state stuff. I mean, it's state, but it's city. <laughs> Living in the city. We live in the only real place in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm bitter. And if you don't like it, get fucked. This is from Fox News. As we know, woke has infected all education from nursery school through the PhD level. This is a law school graduate we're talking about, law school graduate and commencement speaker at City University of New York's law school, Fatima Musa Mohammed. You know what's coming. She was chosen to speak at CUNY's law school commencement. Remember, this is a state public school state dollars, there are federal dollars in there too. Remember, she's graduating as a lawyer, so she's getting a degree in American jurisprudence. Keep that firmly right here in your mind. Here she is. <laughs> Displaying her identity. The law school took down her commencement speech from YouTube after an outcry about her, well, her anti-American sentiment which is what it is. But then they put it right back up when the other people complained that YouTube was silencing a pro-Palestinian voice and silencing, silencing. So what did she say? Here's how she introduced herself. I come to you all from the rich soil of Yemen raised by the humble streets of Queens. Oh, shut up. <laughs> You're going to tell me about your fine variegated tapestry from Yemen, too? Please, girl. The rich soil of Yemen and the, the humble streets of Queens. You cheap starlet. Quote, I chose CUNY School of Law for its articulated mission as one of the few legal institutions to recognize that the law is a manifestation of white supremacy that continues to oppress and suppress people in this nation and around the world, end quote. The law is a manifestation of white supremacy, says the newly minted American lawyer. Mm -hmm. It's just fine, though, isn't it? It's just another... Just another voice in our in our fabulous melting pot. Melting pot. We don't have a melting pot. We have a stew with contrasting ingredients that are trying to kill each other from the either side of the pot. So is it all law that's white supremacy, or is it just American law? Or is it Palestinian law? Or is it Israeli law? This is who rules you, my friends. 
This is who rules you. This is your ruling class. This is who's becoming a lawyer. This is who's becoming a judge. She's telling you that she wants the rule of law destroyed. She's saying the rule of law itself is fundamentally wrong and oppressive. And to think just a few years ago, I was embarrassed to call anybody anti-American because I was embarrassed to be an American. How pitiful. How too bad for me. She also says that a revolution is happening. Quote, no one person will save the world. No single movement will liberate the masses. Those who brought the ferocity of the violence, those who carry the revolution, the people, the masses, those who need our protection, they will carry this revolution. Yeah. You still like revolution? Any out there? Sound good to you? We need a revolution. Yeah? Sound good? Get the guillotines out? Or maybe we'll do it Yemeni style. I'm sure they don't even have guillotines. Maybe they have rope? <laughs> no, I don't respect her, and I don't respect that fucking country either. She wants jailed supporters of the terrorist group Hamas freed from U.S. jails as part of her remarks. She said that that mental nutcase, Jordan Neely, the um, uh, just the humble, gentle Michael Jackson impersonator who's only trying to bring people joy on the subway, but has a 12-year record of harassing, intimidating, and, threat and threatening subway riders. She, um, she said he was murdered, murdered. And why did she say that? Because the guy who put him in a chokehold, who I don't believe was actually trying to kill him, but who was responding to an imminent threat, was a white guy in a Marine. You know this bitch would love to see him push right into an open grave. And she will, too, if she's allowed to. She will do this. With the government's approval. They want it, too. She called the murder of a black man on the MTA by a what? I just. She said that politicians dignify this kind of murder of people of color. She's come to this country to tear down the very structures that have made her life and her education possible. Quote, the joy and excitement that fills this auditorium, may it be the fuel to fight against capitalism, racism, imperialism, and Zionism around the world. Since we're so often assured that we are in a race war and that all blacks are oppressed by all whites and there are no black people who feel any differently than that, let's see what we can make of this apparent black person, conservative commentator Armstrong Williams. It seems like he doesn't agree. Let's see if that could possibly be true. Our American law schools producing that will protect the future. Of America. In a recent commencement ceremony at the City University of New York's Public Law School, it featured a speech from a graduating student, Fatima Musa Mohammed. Born in Yemen and raised in New York, Fatima decried capitalism, imperialism, and other isms. She said America is a racist and warmongering country. She even went as far as requesting that the United States government release supporters of the terrorist group Hamas known for wanting to destroy Israel. It's unbelievable that CUNY Law School is producing these types of future attorneys. However, don't be surprised by these extreme views. They're growing among Gen Z and aren't showing any indication of slowing down. We need to confront these extreme views head on. Want to dismantle police, mismanage the military, dismantle all law enforcement in America. I'm Armstrong Williams. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Hey, we got one more thing for you before the break. Take a look at this tweet, and then we'll play you out the video. <laughs> you're not gonna of course you're going to believe it. The Capitol Police refused to allow students to sing the national anthem in the U.S. Capitol, explaining that, quote, it might offend someone or cause some issues. The students were allowed to sing other, less controversial songs. This is the um, well-known Rushing Brook Children's Choir and their choir master on a field trip to the Capitol building um, as they were scheduled to sing in Statuary Hall. Um, let's play that, please, Kevin. Hey, 
you're going to see somebody come over and tap on the choir director's uh, shoulder to tell him to stop. is. So what's going on? Well, we have commentary from a couple of the adults involved in the production. Uh, Christina Chapman Heffernan said this, we've been stopped in the middle of the Star Spangled Banner while here in the Capitol, even though we were approved for this concert. Certain Capitol Police said it might offend someone or cause some issues. We respect authority, but we should have been allowed to sing because of the multi-level approval we already got from three representatives involved. Another one of the adults involved, Matthew Lays, said this, quote, either way, the kids sang brilliantly. Capitol Police not even letting them complete the song and trying to explain that singing the national anthem could be considered a form of protest is telling and embarrassing when you need a permit to sing your national anthem in your nation's capital. Something's gone wrong. I'll say, and it needs no further comment. Unbelievable. All right, we are coming up on a break here, but I want to remind you that we're moving more of our content over to Rumble, and we would love you to subscribe. Please make an account on Rumble, uh, because we're doing more exclusives that are coming out on Rumble only, and eventually we're going to move everything off YouTube and onto Rumble. Um, so if you want to participate, for example, in the chat when we end up um, making the show live, which is coming, um, you need an account, and you'll need an account just to um, talk with other people in the comments. So please visit us at rumble.com forward slash C forward slash disaffected. And we'll see you after the break. Can't get enough of our love, baby. That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. Elon Musk is still battering. <laughs> I would tell you the joke, but maybe next time. Elon Musk is still battling the legacy woke employees in his company, as we knew he would um, for a while. And it's become quite apparent this week over Matt Walsh's film, what is a woman? And if you haven't seen it, you really, really should. Came out last year. He traveled all over the country and to Africa simply to ask the question of people, what is a woman? I'm not going to go any further. You know what it's about, but it's worth it. You, you'll be... Even if you're jaded, even if you're jaded to the gender wars, you will be surprised by how far some people will go. So... Here's the situation. Here's how it relates to Twitter. And, and I'm going to say this again. I've said it many times. But it needs to be repeated because people keep asking the question. What does Twitter matter? Twitter is a waste of time. Twitter isn't real life. Twitter isn't real life. There's only 10% of Americans who are on Twitter. Why are you talking about Twitter all the time? Because Twitter matters. I'm not personally on Twitter. The show is. I don't use it personally anymore. I don't like the format. But Twitter is in fact, whether you like it or not, and I do not like it, along with you, I do not like it. But it is the de facto public square. 
Policy is made on Twitter. News is spread on Twitter. Cultural issues take root on Twitter. Twitter matters. Okay? Talking about why Twitter matters is not the problem. Twitter mattering is the problem. This week, the Daily Wire, which is the conservative media company that Matt Walsh works for, inked a deal, a paid contract with Twitter. Contract, okay? They, They made a deal that in order to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Walsh's film, What is a Woman?, that Daily Wire would stream it in full for free for 24 hours on Twitter. It's another thing that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. Full-length videos, full-length movies and shows are now able to be shown on Twitter. He, I think he said he wants to make it the everything app, and of course that makes chills run up and down my spine. But, you know... Um, people like me don't count anymore and <laughs> neither do you. So just lie back and think of Twitter. <laughs> they decided um, at the very last minute after inking this paid contract where they were going to give the Daily Wire all sorts of special stuff, special promo page. They were going to guarantee high visibility for the promotion of this film. Well, then this happened. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> Matt Walsh tweet says, Twitter will not let you retweet the film, but you can still embed it. Just press down on the video and hit tweet video. And if you're listening and you can't see on your screen, there's a little um, warning. There's a little um, uh, tag at the bottom of Twitter that says visibility limited. This tweet may violate Twitter's rules against hateful conduct. If I never hear that phrase again, I swear to God. Now, what you may not know is that Twitter, under Elon's direction, actually removed, quote-unquote, misgendering as part of the definition of hateful conduct. So that bullshit is not even part of their rules anymore. So how did this happen? Well, more happened. Again, this, this happened overnight, overnight, the night before this special promo was to happen. From Elon Musk, tweet. We're updating the system tomorrow so that those who follow Real Daily Wire will see this in their feed, that is the movie, but it won't be recommended to non-followers, nor will any advertising be associated with it. Hmm. Sounds like it's disfavored content. That's awfully strange, especially when you pay for it. So Matt Walsh responded and he said, Elon, The film is being actively suppressed by people at Twitter right now as we speak. Why? And why would it take until tomorrow to take the hate speech tag off? And what does it mean that, quote, advertisers won't be associated with it? Also, will it be shareable? (laughs) Matt continues, is, quote, misgendering against the rules or not? You bought the company and you reinstated the Babylon Bee after a, quote, misgendering violation. Now you are telling us that our film will be suppressed on those same grounds. This makes no sense. God, I love Matt Walsh when he does this. It's just, it's just straightforward. It's just A, B, C, and then you jump to Z. Z doesn't go here. Can you explain to me why Z, why you've put Z as the fourth letter in the alphabet instead of D? This is the level we're at. It doesn't make any sense. Matt is holding them accountable. Matt won't shut up. He won't just like pretend he didn't see the nonsense. So I like listening to him. Um, next tweet, Elon responds. Commenting and deliberate sharing of the film will be allowed. Sensitive content just won't be pushed to people unless they ask for it or a friend sends it to them. Sensitive content. Sensitive. Really. Matt responds to Elon. Elon, have you seen the film? What is, quote, sensitive about it? There is content widely shared that shows up on Twitter feeds every single day 
that is far more outrageous and offensive than anything in the film. What specifically is the problem with the movie? This went on and on and on. But in the end, you may be able to take a guess about what really happened. And you may be able to take a guess about who or what kind of who made it happen. Now, I can't prove this, but I believe it because the timing is awfully suspicious and also because I judge human books by their covers. Let me introduce you to the former head of Trust and Safety at Twitter, Miss Ella G. Irwin. Take a look. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. She resigned Thursday night after this happened. She resigned as the head of Trust and Safety. Trust and Safety. Ugh. She has told the media in the past, this is Ella G. Irwin, that she is deeply concerned about the safety of Twitter users <laughs> after Elon bought it and allowed all sorts of unsafe and hateful content. Well, here's what Elon Musk had to say about it the next day. He responded um, to Daily Wire co-owner Jeremy Boring uh, saying that the decision to censor the documentary was, quote, a mistake by many people at Twitter and that the film is definitely allowed. He went on to say, whether or not you agree with using someone's preferred pronouns, not doing so is at most rude and certainly breaks no laws. I should note that I, this is Elon speaking, I should note that I do personally use someone's preferred pronouns just as I use someone's preferred name simply from the standpoint of good manners. However, for the same reason, I object to rude behavior, ostracism, or threats of violence if the wrong pronoun or name is used, end quote. Obviously, I differ from Elon on, on, on I don't believe it's you know, manners require this, but this is a reasonable statement. This is a reasonable statement. And now, this is his pinned tweet, the one that permanently shows up at the top of Elon Musk's own Twitter feed. Take a look at it. Uh, it's a retweet of Daily Wire. It's the movie they, don't re they really don't want you to see what is a woman. And Elon says, every parent should watch this. So now the owner of Twitter, the very next day after Miss Irwin departed, has made this his personal pinned tweet and is personally promoting the viewing of this. What a victory. And, and even more, and this is going to really, really drive the activists crazy. Good. It's about goddamn time. Quote from Elon, this is a major problem. I will be actively lobbying to criminalize making severe, irreversible changes to children below the age of consent. Shame on those who advocate this exclamation point. It is utterly contemptible. Amen. It's not only utterly contemptible, it's fucking evil. <laughs> now in Jane Fonda news. <laughs> I swear, this is difficult for me. I was talking about this with Kevin the other day. These women, uh, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dolly Parton, um, They've, you know, they were famously cast together in nine to five, but they've worked in a lot of other things together in, in some combination. And on screen, they're great. They're great. I mean, I, I, Jane Fonda, I've got nothing for her. I despise her. But she is an entertaining actress. She's good. Lily Tomlin is a really good comedian. Dolly Parton is a saint. She never uh, gets her, her hands dirty in this stuff. But it is so frustrating because, you know, stars of this caliber and, and, and of this age are, have devolved into just woke scolds. It, it, is, it makes it really difficult for me to enjoy anything that they do as fictional or dramatic portrayals because of this behavior. So why, why am I talking about Jane Fonda? Because she's crazy. This is what she said. She was at the Cannes Film Festival recently, and she's found a solution to climate change, which she says is a crisis. Um, and that's because she's figured out what's behind it. Um, and she said it's white men and racism. 
Jane Fonda said that humans have uh, <laughs> only seven or eight years to cut in half humanity's fossil fuel use before we end up in a catastrophe. And if we do end up there, according to Jane, it will hit, quote, the global south the hardest. You know, it's like trans women most affected. Um, uh, people on islands and poor people of color. But to avert this oppression, Jane says, quote, we have to arrest and jail those men. They're all men. She said it's men and specifically white men who are responsible. And she was answering a question from an audience member at the film festival. She said there would be no climate crisis without patriarchy, which she claims patriarchy is obsessed with hierarchy. White men are the things that matter and everyone else is beneath them, she said. Oh, Jane. <laughs> okay. We're coming to the end of the show here. And I want to talk to you about someone remarkable. The reason the show is coming out um, tonight on Monday is that um, this lady died over the weekend. She was a good friend of mine. And I've been with the family most of the week as, as she's declined. Um, let's put her picture up. Um, this is Lisa Carlson. She died late Saturday night, early Monday morning at the age of 86. <clears throat> and Lisa was a mentor to me, a professional mentor, but also a family figure to me. Way back in, oh, 2000, 2001 or 2002, I was working as a crime reporter at a daily paper called the, the News in Advance in Lynchburg, Virginia. And one night I didn't have any fires or murder scenes, anything on the police scanner that I had to run out and cover. So I started looking for a story to do, a feature story for the, for the Sunday edition that was not connected to my beat. And I discovered, um, this was after somebody had put a copy of Jessica Mitford's very famous expose, The American Way of Death, on my desk. <clears throat> and I read it in, in about a night and, a, and half a day. I was just absolutely fascinated uh, by what I found, um, the skullduggery, if you will, of the American funeral industry. And so I started researching online. And I wanted to do a story on what had happened to the prices at funeral homes in the town that I worked in that still bore the family name the Witten family funeral homes, but, but had, unbeknownst to most people, 10 years prior had been bought by a really large publicly traded chain of funeral homes, the biggest one in the world. And their modus operandi is to keep the family name so that the goodwill remains and the prices remain high. I couldn't complete this story because I got a very quick lesson in um, uh, regulatory capture where the industry itself controls the state regulatory boards that are supposed to protect consumers, and they denied me access to public records that were clearly disclosable uh, to reporters and the public under the law. I picked up the phone one night because um, I wanted help from, from this organization, Funeral Consumers Alliance, that I ended up working for, um, thinking I'd leave a message for Lisa Carlson, who was the executive director, but uh, little did I know, at 9.30 at night, a gravel-voiced smoker lady answered the phone and said, Lisa Carlson. And I said, Miss Carlson, I didn't expect to get you. She, she had the voice of a woman who smoked for 50 years and had a glass of wine in her hand. It became a fast friendship. Um, I was, as she called it, bit by the funeral bug and uh, began doing volunteer research long distance. And we would talk on the phone and, and, and it, it just, we really took to each other. And a few weeks after this started, she said, do you want a job in Vermont? And, and uh, I was, oh, I don't know, 27, 28 years old. And I said, sure. So within three weeks, I'd packed up. I took a leap of faith. I left a promising um, beginning career in journalism and I flew to Vermont to be interviewed. And when I walked out of the airport, um, a well-worn woman in a teal Ford Taurus station wagon pulled up, opened the door for me. I sat down. 
she handed me a travel a travel mug of wine and an ashtray, and I knew I'd made the right decision. <laughs> um, I started working for Lisa at Funeral Consumers Alliance, and we sat up all night for so long, drinking and smoking and doing research. We did 70, 80-hour work weeks because we loved it, and it was fun. It was also controversial. Lisa left her job in controversy just as 20 years later, I left the position in controversy. Um, Lisa was a truth teller. She was a remarkable woman. She, she has been a restaurant proprietress. She was once the head of the state mental hospital in Waterbury, Vermont. She was a school teacher in Vermont and Massachusetts. But the thing I know her the most for is her work on helping educate grieving people about the funeral process and mainly about <clears throat> the right and maybe the wisdom of families taking back the care of the dead into the home the way it used to be before we outsourced it to a commercial third-party industry that we call funeral homes. In 1981, <clears throat> when Lisa was a mother with young children, she went out in the morning to the truck and found that her husband had shot himself. She was widowed with small children and no money. And the funeral director waved a bill of $700 in front of her face, and that was a lot more money in 1981 than it is today. Lisa was a remarkably resourceful woman, and she figured out back in the days before the internet that she didn't have to pay this money she completed the death certificate and got the medical examiner to sign it. She went down to the town clerk's office and got the transit permit that allows a body to be taken to the crematory. And she got a friend in that very same truck where her husband took his life. And she drove him, she cared for his body, and she drove him to the crematory. And it lit a fire in her. And she wanted other people to know that what had started out as a financial decision became what she would later call her final act of love. And, excuse me, Lisa wrote a book called Caring for the Dead, Your Final Act of Love in the 1980s to teach other people this. And it was covered in the New York Times in 1987 if you're interested in reading her story. And she then began serving at Funeral Consumers Alliance and expanded her interest to helping people who didn't want to care for their own dead, but who did want to be able to arrange a funeral on a budget without being extorted. And she expanded that into a legal manual in plain English for consumers that was published in 1996 and really put Funeral Consumers Alliance on the map and became the trusted expert for the media and government on public policy when it came to consumer rights to disclosures, price disclosures, the right to shop around. And she taught me and she mentored me. And she didn't only mentor me at work, she taught me, she taught me how to renovate a house. She helped me to buy my first home by showing me how to do the renovations myself. All sorts of things I didn't think that I'd be able to do, I could do them. And when I had a heart attack in 2010, she and her husband took me in and let me stay with them as long as I wanted to because I was frightened to be alone. And they gave me, <clears throat> they gave me the kind of love and support that a parent would give that I did not get at home. And we lost a remarkable truth teller. Lisa was also a difficult woman sometimes, as passionate people often are. She could be abrasive and downright caustic. And she would slap me from beyond the grave if I lied about it. So I'm not telling her, I'm not telling you anything I wouldn't have said to her face and nothing I didn't say to her as she lay dying. <laughs> um, if you would like to know more about her, um, check out our substack. I've written an obituary. Um, she had a good long life. She taught me a lot. And her death this weekend is the end of a season for me too. She had a good death. Family and friends were there all week and we had um, 
we had help from hospice. But it's difficult, of course, and it is worth it. Sit, sit with your dying. Talk to them, care for them. That's all I have. Good night.